So this is Catherine Otto. I'm at the Transcatheter Valve Therapies meeting in June 2014 in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'm here with Philippe Pibereau, and we were going to have a conversation about patient prosthesis mismatch. I think this is an, uh, an important area and one we're seeing more of, and I think it's a, a clinical challenge. So just to start out, Philippe, what is patient prosthesis mismatch, and how do we identify it? Well, prosthesis patient mismatch is when uh, the, the valve effective orifice area is too small for the patient body size, so the cardiac output requirements, and of course the consequence is uh, uh, increased uh, gradients after operation and residual stenosis, and that's been shown to have an impact on on the, uh, the the symptoms, the persistence of symptoms and recurrent heart failure after operation and mortality, both short and long-term mortality. You know, we all recognize that it, it exists and we can, by echo, make those measurements and do the calculations and index it to body size. Um, I think surgeons are pretty aggressive now about trying to avoid it by picking a big valve. But if I have a patient in clinic who has patient prosthesis mismatch, you know, how do I decide if it's severe enough to do something about it? Yeah, I think it's, it's a good point. And, and for sure, it's, it's always better to prevent the mismatch that having to deal with then after as often for many things in medicine. So that's why I think we uh, we put a lot of emphasis on the on the prevention of mismatch. And I, I think I agree with you. The the surgeons and the cardiologists are more and more aware of this, and they try to implant the largest valve. But more more. More important than the size of the valve, they try to implant valve with, with a superior hemodynamic performance and, 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 and the valve that have the best effective orifice area and that therefore matches the cardiac output requirements of the patient. Then after, how to assess it? Well, uh, we measure the AOA, uh, the effective orifice area, uh, generally using the continuity equation by Doppler echo. And of course, there are some pitfalls, and this is not, uh, as you know very well, an easy measurement. So we have to pay attention with the, in particular, the diameter of the LVOT. Uh, there are some reverberation and shadowing caused by the the, the, the stent of the uh, of the valve. So we have to be careful with these measurements. Also, the velocity uh, sample uh, should be should be positioned at the right place. So there are some uh, some technical pitfalls with the measurements of the airway, and and then we index it for body size and uh, for body surface area. And here again, there is another pitfall uh, because a large proportion of our patients are obese, and so of course when we index for the body surface area we may uh, uh, overestimate the presence and severity of mismatch. And so uh, you have to use your good clinical judgment and say, well, okay, this is a patient with a, uh, is it a real uh, body surface area? Uh, is it a basketball player and uh, with very little uh, fat? Or is it uh, an obese patient? And then you may, may have to uh, put this into the equation, I think. Is there a better way to index the airway for, the, uh, for some uh, allometric uh, measures. Well, height could be a solution, but uh, uh, the limitation with height, uh, as we as we uh, sometimes do in obese patients for LV mass, where we may index for, as shown in a strong heart study, for the height to a power 2.7, um, is that when you're getting overweight and obese, the cardiac output requirement is increasing as well uh, by 20, 25, 30 percent. And, and, and the gradient, the pressure gradient, is a squared function of flow. So if the cardiac output goes up, the gradient will go up even more. So um, the, the height is, might not be the perfect solution, the BSA neither. What we do at the present time, but I mean it's just a research tool for now, we, we measure the, the fat-free mass by bioimpedance scalar. And might be an interesting direction because then it, it takes into account 
the um, uh, the cardiac output requirements, you know, related to uh, obesity. Uh, and but on the other end, it will probably not. Uh, overestimate as much the degree of mismatch as if we use uh, no index for body surface area. So, Philippe, let me present to you um, a couple patients. So, if I have a 75-year-old woman who had her valve replaced for aortic stenosis three years ago, and she has a velocity of 3.5, her valve area is less than one, she clearly meets patient processes mismatch criteria, and she has kind of persistent fatigue and decreased exercise tolerance, but not to the extent she had before surgery, but she has a lot of other comorbidities. You know, she's hypertensive, she has some lung disease, she has peripheral vascular disease. Um, Although I know she's at higher risk of poor outcomes, is the risk high enough that I should send her to surgery for a repeat valve replacement, or should I manage her conservatively? Uh, I think, you know, it's a, it's a difficult situation because uh, we know the risk associated with a redo surgery, and um, especially in a patient with uh, multiple comorbidities. And, and in these patients, the challenges, in, uh, you know, is always difficult to know and to be sure that the symptoms are related to uh, and only related to uh, the uh, the prosthesis patient mismatch, and not sure that if we replace the valve with a larger and, and valve with a better hemodynamic performance, that we will improve the patient. You know, so um, and there are some series uh, where they uh, series from the Mayo Clinic where they reoperated patient with severe mismatch, uh, and actually those who had only pure mismatch with. Uh, little other comorbidities went well and improved in terms of symptoms. The others, uh, you know, those who had comorbidities or other concomitant cardiac surgery, uh, the, the outcome was relatively poor. So I think in the case of this patient will be to do, uh, try to optimize the medical therapy, close follow-up, and, and, and not uh, do a redo in this case. Yeah, and I think that just really emphasizes the importance of, of avoiding patient prosthesis mismatch in the first place to, you know, calculate the effective orifice area before you pick a valve and, and try to not get in that situation. So the other thing we're seeing now with heart valve centers is we get patients referred for prosthetic valve stenosis, typically of a, of a bioprosthetic valve, and we see the patient at one point in time and we get a high velocity and a small valve area. You know, how can we be sure that patient has patient prosthesis or has um, prosthetic stenosis versus patient prosthesis mismatch, and, and maybe it doesn't matter, we should just do a transcatheter valve and valve anyway in that patient. Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, uh, scenario as well. Uh, I think to be sure first that, uh, you know, and make the differential diagnosis between a, an acquired stenosis versus a, a mismatch that was born with operation, I think it is extremely important to have a, a baseline echo um, early after surgery, ideally 30 days, uh, about one month after after surgery, because of, often the pre-discharge echo, as you know, the quality of the images is not is not optimal, and sometimes it's you know the measurement of the airway is difficult. But you know, uh, having a, a good comprehensive echo at one month with a good baseline reference measurements of the velocity, the gradient, and the airway is really key. Because then you have a reference, and uh, if if then you are seven years later, and you see that the gradient went from ten to uh, thirty, then you know that it is an acquired process. But uh, vice versa, if the if the gradient was uh, uh, you measure the, the gradient at, at seven years, it is twenty five, but it was already twenty five at thirty day, then it's probably mismatch, and and the. 
I think the success of the valve in valve would be very much different. If it's an acquired process, a stenosis or, or regurgitation, the valve in valve will be quite efficient and will probably help the patient. If it's a severe mismatch, if the gradient is in large part related to the severe mismatch, if you do a valve in valve, it can only make it worse. <laughs> you know, so so I mean this is this is important for therapeutic decision making to be sure that is it acquired problem? versus something that was inherent to the uh, prosthesis that we initially selected because then the valve in valve will not help. Great. Right. Thank you very much for all those comments. I think the take-home messages are that we want to avoid patient prosthesis mismatch by selection of the best valve at the time of surgery and that we want to get a post-operative echo to be our baseline so that when they come back later, we can tell whether they have prosthetic valve stenosis or simply have patient prosthesis mismatch. So thank you very much for your comments uh, and enjoy hearing them and look forward to seeing you at the next meeting. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. 